Welcome back to the Freewheeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We are back to talk about the final two classics of the spring campaign, La Flesh Alone and Liege Bastion Liege. With me, as always, Amy Lauren Jones. Hello. Happy birthday. Let's wait, let's Thanks. talk about the real reason we've all gathered here today. Happy birthday. Thanks. <laughs> well, a day late. A belated, but it's fine. I'll take it. It's my birthday all week. Yeah, birthday week. I'm like the queen. Yeah, I've as got, it like, should multiple be. Birthdays. Yes. <laughs> and Lauren Rowney and Gracie Elvin are both absent today, but we have found a new voice, a new contributor to the Freewheeling podcast, Tilda Price. Hello. Freelance journalist. Something like that. Good to be here. All round legend. <laughs> the person who makes Women's Cycling Weekly tick. Otherwise, oh, I would kind. never wouldn't exist basically because i did you get your one million subscribers for your birthday we're about 10 off so if you're listening <laughs> go subscribe quick before we make it paid subscriptions and start cashing <laughs> in on that mill anyway we've got two really really exciting races to talk about today flesh alone and liege bass on the age we are one hour off of the finish of liege bass on the age so we're going to talk about that one first this it's going to be interesting to see if I can do a like from the top of my head rundown on two races in one podcast, but we'll try. If you can do it for both, considering one was on Wednesday, then gold star. I might not be able to remember the numbers quite right, but I think I can remember some. I mean, th- this one is pretty easy because I just wrote the race report. Once the live coverage kicked off before La Redoute, which we will we'll get into that at some point for sure. There was a break of eight riders up the road. And they had a little bit less than a minute going into the base of the climb. On the climb, Ashley Woman Passio uh, really set the pace at the bottom of the climb and kind of kind of did like a lead out for Annemiek Van Vluten, who attacked halfway up the climb. She bridged very quickly to the breakaway out front that it wasn't really like a concerted effort to bring them back. It was more just the favorites were going really fast on the climb and the breakaway was going just a regular speed. Uh, the only person who was able to hold on to Van Vluten on the climb was Marlon Rusa, who was part of that eight person breakaway. The two of them rode together for eight, nine ish kilometers, but were brought back by a group behind that was started as like a five person favorite race, pre-race favorites type of move and swelled in size in between the two climbs, brought them back within a couple of kilometers of Cote de la Rochefon. Grace Brown attacked as they were brought back. She went solo into the bottom of the final climb, but Van Vluten was too fast on the climb and she was able to drop everybody, just kind of go over the top of Grace and solo to the victory. Behind her, there was a chasing group of five that included Elisa Longo-Borghini, Marta Cavalli, Grace Brown, Demi Vollering, and Ashley Momenpasio. The five of them, well, four of the five of them worked really well together, but were not able to bring the time down to Van Vluten, and she won by like 43 seconds. So let we, I, we should start with the winner because put out a piece. Well, Amy wrote a piece right after Flesh, Love Flesh Alone that was like, is is Van Vluten's run over? Is this is this the end? Will we not see her ride away from people on climbs anymore? And of course, she reads uh, cycling tips. So she knew <laughs> that that was being said about her. And she proved us wrong today. I mean, it was it was a pretty incredible effort. And I people who listen to this podcast know that we're pretty critical of Van Vluten. 
But I was very excited to see her win today because it was it was a great it was a really great effort and it was a really exciting way to win. I feel like my qualms with her are when she goes 70 kilometers to go and just rides solo. And she didn't do that today. She had one effort that failed and then she tried again and it was it was impressive. It was good. I think that's the thing. It's like when you see someone just like easily sail away solo from the bunch and just like time trial their way to the line, you're a bit like, well, that was boring. And there's it kind of takes away from, because like today, obviously she put in like massive efforts on the climbs. Like you can see how deep she was going. And when you see someone doing that and others are quite close behind them still, like it just feels like a more it's more entertaining and you, re- you see the effort behind it. It's better than just like, oh yeah, she's gone and we never see her again. We live for entertainment. Yeah. And the strongest rider won on the day. Second attack on the final climb was, I think for me, the, the moment that I was like, okay, I really want her to win this race because she was basically attacking for a kilometer straight. I mean, she was... It looked like an attack in the beginning, but then Ashley was able to hold on to her wheel and everyone else was able to hold on to Ashley. And then there was this moment where it was the effort that she'd been putting in was finally paying off and Ashley dropped her wheel and then it was over. There was enough space for her to get to the top of the climb with a gap on everybody else and then ride away to the finish. And that one kilometer long attack where she just never let up was seriously an impressive effort and i think that while we will well this is uh an incredible win from van vluten i don't think it's something we're still gonna i don't think she's gonna walk away with like the rest of the season she's definitely gonna be a contender at the stage races coming up but i i think that the fact that they uh, were able to hold on for, to her for as long as they did that they were able to bring her back after her first attack means that she was just, yeah, stronger on the day. And it was a very well-deserved win, in my opinion. And I think you could even say that part of the reason that it wasn't as, not boring, but it wasn't as pre-decided as some of her attacks are. The fact that even going into the last 10K, she had, what, 16 seconds? It wasn't fully set on. And I know she said at the finish that she knew there was a headwind, so she knew that if they worked together, the group behind would have an advantage. Um and so it wasn't a totally typical Anamik goes at 40k to go and is gone. I think even until she kind of went into the last couple of kilometers and was, her time was, a gap was going up again. Um, it wasn't really until then that it was set on. So I think, like you've been saying, it's just the gap between Anamik and everyone else doesn't seem as gigantic as it sometimes is, which I think for us as viewers is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I was getting at in that piece. Um, I wasn't just purely slagging her off. Um, it was more just kind of saying her, the age of what of her being able to completely walk over everybody. I don't. I think that's done now. I think, I and mean, also she's played a huge role in raising the level of the peloton, the strength and depth of the peloton. Um, and like she, when she talks about it as well, she's like happy to see it. She says, which I think is also really nice. Because she could be, you know, bitter about it, but she's not. So she said after the race that when winning a women's r- race is no longer 
easy or something along those lines and that she thinks there's just there's more contenders than there used to be and I mean, that is kind of what we're seeing, despite if you look at the races, the people that have won World Tour races so far this year, there have been repeat winners like in the past. But it's but the way in which they got there has been very different this year than years in the past, which is, yeah, as as viewers and fans of the sport, that's what we want to see. That's what we love to see. And as that growth continues, we're just going to have more contenders and and more fun ways of women's races being won, which is, yeah, that's what we want. Because, yeah, also on that note, that was actually Annemiek's first World Tour victory this season. Which is shocking. Yeah. Usually she would have won Strada by now, at least the first World Tour race of the year. Flanders. At least one by the end of April. Not her first win, as Kit, no. Kit reminded me, which Omloop had Newswad with the the volering sprint but yeah we we should get into sd works because yet again they had some interesting tactics today i feel like we could we could start and end with marlon rusa being up the road and ashley basically leading out an attack for van vluten because at that point volering was multiple people back in the group and had to do a huge effort to move up to be able to be there when Van Vluten attacked. So a combination of miscommunication, I think, at the into the base of La Redoute and, and then a very interesting moment where I think Ashley was leading out Demi into the sprint, but it kind of just looked like they were sprinting against each other. No, they, she wasn't. No way. Yeah. So you're being generous. I don't. I wouldn't have called that leader. I'm being neutral. I, I'm observing. That was not a lead out. No, Tell you're them. right. Was that no, you're right. You're right. I don't really know what it was though, because firstly, like Ashley isn't going to be a great lead out for Demi anyway. But then, why, like, why was she sprinting? I th- maybe they thought they could get two and three, but I don't really understand what it was. And they were just next to each other. They weren't really, you know. He was. She wasn't really in the in the lineup. They were sprinting against each other, which doesn't really make sense. And then they both missed out on second. So, what was the point of that? Which was kind of awesome, actually. I loved that. Like Cavalli, who went into this race as a hot favorite, and the big question before the race started was, would she be able to do the double? As soon as it was obvious that there was no way that she was going to factor, she started working for Grace, and Grace paid off by getting second. And Ashley and Demi did not do that. <laughs> at all and there were also there was also i i don't know if we can like pin the blame on ashley as much as cavalli's win at amstel gold and the the lack of effort put into the chase but when that happens there's kind of always a question of is it the same situation the, thing, the only person who wasn't contributing to the chase, at least not until the very end, was Elise Longaborghini, which is a, a classic Elisa move that we see from her quite often. But yeah, it was interesting to see like from such a big team with with so much history behind them. Ashley's relatively new to the team. It's her second year on the team. So the the teamwork and and camaraderie and stuff, I mean, it shouldn't it should come easier, especially to a rider that's been in the sport for so long. So it's just, it's just really, it was an interesting dynamic between the two of them. I think 
they're doing SDUX or the new FDJ in this scenario because I think they probably went into that race saying that both Demi and Ashley were leaders, which, as we know, just creates confusion. Unless you're FDJ, apparently. Sorry? Unless you're, well, FDJ had two leaders. Well, no, but they, well, that's the thing is that now they, I suppose they did today, but generally we've been kind of saying that like they've come in with this like four leader. Yeah, that's. Or whatever it was meant to be. And when you take away one or two of them, um, it works out. Kelsey Bruce. I guess like with SD Works, it's interesting because they, they like always come into the race with five leaders in theory like they come into a race with so with pretty much everyone on their roster can win but then at the same time the the way the race plays out they're always happy to sacrifice for each other at least in the past and and i don't think that's something we've seen from sd works this year except from chantal who's the veteran on the team at this point at flanders with lot of maybe it's just that combo of those two that's what I was going to say. Do you think it's just the wrong composition? And that it feels like if you look at Amstel and Flesh and today, it's been Demi and Ashley, the final two riders in all of those races. And in all of them, they were in theory going for Demi. But no offence to Ashley Mormon-Passia, but she's not the kind of rider that can pull a move back very effectively. Like she's not a pa- She doesn't like put the power down on the flat in that way. And so I'm wondering like, maybe they should have gone for Ashley Montpassio more seriously. And if, if Demi had worked for her, because she's clearly climbing quite well, but it's just, if you then give her the role of bringing a move back, that that's not the rider that you want from SD Works to do that. Um, it just feels like, yeah, by going for Demi every time, even on the third occasion where it hasn't worked the last two times, they not think switch that up a bit. And it seems like it's just the same outcome again. She's got a podium again. And, Ashley was in fourth again when maybe if Demi had done a bit more work for Ashley we could have seen something different I I definitely agree with that I mean that they probably should have after Flesh Malone maybe switched it up a little bit I feel like Bourbon's appeal went so well for Vollering that they probably after that thought okay we can we can put our eggs in the Vollering basket for the for the rest of the Ardennes but She's just not been the volleying we saw last year, yet this year. Is that maybe to do with she's training in the high mountains a bit too much? I know she was at Sierra Nevada and she's aiming towards the tour. Has that had an effect on these kind of races? And maybe it will come back and reward her when we get to the Tour de France. But has it cost her these kind of things? Or is she just not having a good couple of weeks, basically? I mean, it's possible that she didn't like time a peak right to to peak for these kinds of races, and and she is targeting the Tour de France, which I feel like she definitely would be. It's also, I think, it also is kind of we forget that she's super new. It's like her what fourth year racing at this level. Like she's she's still pretty fresh on the scene, and I think that last year went really well for her but that doesn't mean that every that 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 is the standard for her like i think it went well because she had anna vanderbregen to play off of and she just doesn't have that we've talked before or amy just said that van vluten is raising the bar for for women cycling for the whole peloton and we've seen her do that at movistar at this point like movistar is incredible this year 
And I think it, Anna Vanderbregen did the same thing at SC Works and without her, they're missing a spark. I think she could also be feeling a bit of pressure because when you've got Anna Vanderbregen, like you're always kind of second fiddle to her going into the race, which is a, probably for her was a good thing in the past because it's like she's the second option. So she's got that kind of lesser role which comes with less pressure at the same time so maybe now that she's meant to have kind of stepped up and become like the new Anna Mm -hmm. on the team she's feeling the pressure of it and kind of not dealing with it very well but also yeah maybe they also can't figure out like Tilda said like who is the rider to go for going into races like maybe they're just saying oh yeah it's Demi automatically because she's the one with the history of results but maybe they need to have a look at the other riders oh it's like we said after i think it was after the amstel podcast maybe or earlier in the spring that sc works has always had questionable tactics but anna's are always been able to take like pick up the slack and so that's nothing new but it's just more obvious now yeah I mean, I think if you look at them, a team that's been around for a really, really long time and has like an incredible list of results to the team's name, and you look at FDJ, I just am so impressed with how FDJ has ridden the last couple weeks and how they've, yeah, we said at the beginning of the year, the four, four liter approach to, to racing was going to be interesting to watch and in the in Amstel Gold and in Flesh, they had a single leader, and that was Cavalli. And then today they did have the two leader approach. Cavalli said before the race started that they were they were riding for both her and Grace. And in putting Grace up the road before Labradute, they made sure that she was in that chasing group after Van Vluten attacked. And had she not been up the road already, I don't think she would have made that selection on La Redoute or on Russia, Russia Fakon. Like you got it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she would have made that selection, but because she was up the road, she had a head start and she was in that chasing group. Had it gone differently in the final couple kilometers, the two of them, Cavalli and Brown are more than capable of throwing multiple attacks at that group and being aggressive, which is something I don't think we would have seen from anyone in that group except Longo Borghini. So FDJ maybe didn't win the race today, but for me, they were the most impressive team with the way that they wrote it. Also, Brady Chapman with the mechanical just before... Laura Duke. Yeah, so who knows what could have happened if she was she was there. And she almost um, like died <laughs> thanks to the yeah, mechanic. <laughs> that was like he got like a little too excited. Pushing it like straight into a wall. She's like looking at him like, um Yeah. But also Grace Brown coming back from COVID, like straight flying, like 12th in Roubaix, and then how she rode today. Like super, I I thought when they let her go and well when she attacked and they just all looked at each other, I was like, oh that could be it because we've seen her do it before and every single time she's allowed to get away like that. I'm always just like, guys, how short are your memories? Like they're like goldfish. Yeah, so it's just a peloton of goldfish. (laughs) 
No, it was, it was such a great move from Grace. And and yeah, it's good to see her come back. And actually, we we didn't mention this uh, for the Perry Roubaix pod, but Voss is out still. And Voss was not there today. And did obviously did not race Perry Roubaix. So this the, we've had, I feel like more riders this season have gotten COVID and have had to come back from COVID probably because the lax controls at this point. Um, but yeah, we saw like Kasha today didn't look amazing, had a really hard day at flesh alone. And which again, surprising after how well she rode at Brabant's appeal, but she was like the third best Canyon Stram rider on the day behind, uh, Paulina Rarkis and, and Soraya Paladin, which was pretty surprising to see. Yeah, Canyon Saram. I think it's hard because it's obviously not the best day for them. But I think we're seeing it all in all. It's probably an improvement for them having more than one rider. Um, and I think maybe, well, it's the same as FTJ, isn't it? Is that they've they used to always come in with one leader, which would be Cassio or Cecily in terms of SDJ, but they are now coming in with more options and although they haven't taken the win yet, like FDJ have, I think you kind of have to see it as a positive. And the fact that Soraya Paladin, and especially Paulina Royakas has really been up there in a lot of races. And a lot of times I've assumed she was Nubia Doma because I just, I see a Canyon Saram rider in the front and I think, all oh, right, it's Nubia Doma. Um, and so, yeah, having them there is a really good start for them. But I, I think maybe what they need to work on is is the team element of it. And I think that's something we've, often criticized about Canyon Saram is that they're not always working together very well and it's often just left to New Viedoma. So I think if they can kind of harness that team strength and kind of apply the tactics and the organization, then we could see a good result for them. And I know it's kind of, we're at the end of the classics now, but they're good in these kind of hillier races. And there's lots of days like that coming up in, um, the stage races in May and yeah it, it would be interesting to s- kind of see them fully commit for someone who wasn't New Doma and see um kind of how that pays off because they have had quite a few good results a couple of podiums and a couple of like quite near the podium um so it seems like a win should be on the way if they can get it together and the stage races are good for that because it's multiple days back to back where the racing is a little bit less intense from the start and so it gives them an opportunity to learn how to work together a little bit better to like learn the strengths of each other because Soraya and Paulina are both brand new to the team it's their first year on the team so I think that they yeah there needs to be some kind of uh there is growing pains right now it looks like but they've definitely with the with them and with Elise Shabby on paper, their team is incredibly strong. On paper. It's a lot of teams on paper are very strong. What What is the kind of deciding factor between a team being strong on paper and being strong on the road? What is the difference between a team like SD Works, FDJ, and a team like, well, Canyon Saram? And even sometimes Trek, they've got loads of good riders that they don't pull it off. What is the kind of deciding factor? Like, Is it tactics? Is it... Is it just organization between the riders? Is it their plan? It's kind of hard to tell because there's no kind of clear answer, I don't think. But there's lots of teams that are really strong on paper and 
mess it up sometimes. And there's a lot of teams that aren't very strong on paper, but if they have one good rider and pull it off. Um, so I, th- I think I think my view on it is that a lot of it is to do with flexibility and the riders that go in the team sorry that go into a race with one leader and that's it and put all their basket all, all their eggs in that basket they kind of set themselves up to fail whereas it's these teams that all of them have that self-belief that can go for it that it often pays off and I, th- I think it's it's almost about instilling in every rider the confidence to go for it when you can because I think that's what SD, SD works do right is that every rider knows that they would have the support if they went for it. Whereas maybe at Canyon Saram, they kind of don't have that belief in themselves. That if you're Soraya Paladin and you go for it, you'd have the support from the team. It's a combination, isn't it, of all the things that you just mentioned, like the tactics have to be right, but also it, it's, just, it's, it's a kind of, the combination of everything together is what makes it work. And Trek do it really well as well. Having multiple like they are strong on paper and have multiple riders that can win and they're good at being flexible like we saw it at Roubaix where it looked like they were going to be running for Balsamo initially and then as soon as she got DQ'd um Elisa was just like all right bye so and also with um Hosking and Balsamo in I can't remember what race it was but they were going to sprint yeah oh yeah they do it well, but yeah, I think confidence as well. Like you say, like if if right if you if riders know that they have the support, if they go for it, no matter like who it is on the team, then that confidence is gonna you're gonna want to actually do it. Whereas if you're like Roy Eckers, for example, and you've probably got the legs for it, but you're not sure if like you'd have you'd be backed up you might not make the moves that win the race. My question is at one point do we um well at one point at what point do we kind of start questioning Yumbo Visma because they're such a strong team with Voss, but then as soon as Voss is out of the race, they're basically non existent. We've seen them at races without Voss do quite well, like uh Ronda Van Drenta, for example. But like they've been without her for the last handful of of hard spring classics. And apart from a snapshot of Anna Henderson today chasing back onto a group, they're pretty much nowhere to be seen. To be fair to them, they only had four riders in the Again. last couple of races. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is also an issue. That's kind of like if you don't have if your roster's not like obviously we've we've seen teams on both the men's and women's side hit by illness, but if you can't field more than four riders because a few of your riders are out sick, that's like I don't know, red flag. Yeah, and I I, th- I think today especially, well, in the last two races they've been missing not just Voss but also like a rider like Rihanna Marcus, who I think also had COVID that she is kind of in these scenarios should be their sort of second rider. And so they're down to, you know, their third choice, which I think it's kind of a shame because as you say, they can be good without Voss, but maybe if they're without Voss and their kind of next best rider, then once you get down to your third best rider at Yumbo Visma, like you're just not going to be able to compete against the the top teams. But it is a bit, I think we have seen them 
as you say, just not very visible. And I think you would have expected riders like Anna Henderson to do a bit more. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm sure that they will have a lot of thinking to do. And it's a shame that they've got quite a stronger team this year, but it's not really paid off. They're, they're still kind of in the same situation where it's Voss or basically no one. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they where they go from here. Yeah, definitely. There's a couple teams that are kind of in that boat. Bike Exchange a little bit as well. Uh, obviously, DSM is really, really good when Lorena is there, but when they don't have Lorena, they have this interesting thing going on with Flirty Mackay, Liana Lippert, and Juliette Labou. They're all quite good. The three of them are really good, especially Liana at the moment. I mean, today they had two of them were in the chasing group, doing the bulk of the work in like the second chase when Van Vluten was up the road. Then there was a chase in between. And then there was like every, everyone who was anyone from DSM was in the third chase. Um, so it's interesting. We're in a winter, we're in an interesting situation, but before we, I think we should move on and talk a little bit about flesh alone, but before we do, I just, we don't have any Australians on the podcast today, but I do want to give like a shout out to, Amanda Spratt <laughs> for finishing yeah. 10th today because she's obviously coming back from iliac and uh iliac artery endofibrosis and to see her kind of slowly work her way back into the front of the races and she was in the breakaway at Flesh Wallone and then she was in the breakaway today and even when the break was caught she was able to hang on to that group and and finish 10th and it's just so awesome to see because I think going into races like the Tour de France femme, she will be a favorite the way that she's going at the moment. Yeah. On the climbs, like she's looking like she used to before already. So, yeah, I feel like if this is her coming back into form, then she's pretty close to where she want to be with form. Um, Cause I, th- I, I, I think there are probably springs where she would have been happy with 10th in, in Liège so to be there at this point yeah definitely a month and a half down the line hopefully she'll be in a much better position I think it would be it would also be really good to see kind of a bigger number of really good climbers especially going into the Giro and the Tour um so it's not just one or two riders um so hopefully she can kind of be among that I guess the last thing we could say about about Liège Bastogne Liège is is about Trek and Eliza not working in that group because while I see why she wouldn't work in the group of five that was chasing after uh, Kota Rochefon, the what I don't understand is why she was working near the end. I feel like it would have suited her better to work with them in the beginning when the gap was small and then maybe launch an attack or something as the gap got closer. Um, but instead... She really waited until they were like 30 seconds behind to do anything, which we've seen her do many, many times before, and it never works out for her. And she always comes out of the race as kind of the villain when she does stuff like this. She can do anything now. She's one Roubaix. She can get away with it. That's what I'm thinking. Is she just kind of riding the high of it? She's just thinking, and also, you know, unless you really believe they're going to bring it back, 
it doesn't make a difference to her whether she gets second or fifth. For sure. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense why she wouldn't work with Vollering in there. Like, mm. you would assume looking at that group, Vollering is going to sprint for second or sprint for the win. So it totally makes mm. sense why she wouldn't work. But it's still frustrating to watch the race right away and be like, if, wouldn't you rather go all in? regardless of what the outcome will be, then like we like she did in Paris-Roubaix, then sit yeah. on the group and wait for the race to end. Yeah, and Trek had really tried today with Leah Thomas up the road and stuff. Oh, man, um, she's so impressive right and, now. I'm just like... Yeah, yeah. So then it kind of feels like a bit like, oh, after all that, why would you not at least try and give it a go at the end? But Yeah, it's true. She's got nothing to lose because she won Roubaix. So she's just kind of a bit like, if she's think- thinking like whatever... In that case, yeah, why not go on like a YOLO move to try and chase Annemiek down? Yeah, or something. Just something. Yeah. <laughs> Do something. Cool, let's move on. All right, so <laughs> when the live coverage started, there was a break of like 15 up the road, and pretty much all of the big teams were represented. Leia Thomas was in there for Trek Segafredo. Anna Shackley was in there for SC Works. There was... Uh, Amanda Spratt was in there yet again. Uh, Aneska Koster was in there for Yambo Visma. And uh, Yara Castellan, who she was she was also up there on La Redoute at Liege Bastion Liege, but she was in the break crucially for Flesh Malone. The 15 of them had. That's how you're meant to be in here. She's, yeah, she's like, I'm really impressed with her. I'm speaking to her tomorrow. I honorable mentioned her in my preview of Liege Bastion Liege. And I'm. Yeah, she's good. Anyway, so 15 riders up the road. It was like a two minute, over two minute break gap to them with like 35, 40 kilometers to go. As the race got closer to like the final climbs of the day, the final, the penultimate lap up the Mir de Wee, uh, Brody Chapman and Avita Music, who is coming back from injury, apparently jumped on the front. They were able to bring the gap down to within like 19 seconds with, I think it was like 14 or 12 kilometers to go. Maybe the, the, the second to last climb of the day is when they kind of reeled everyone back in on that climb. There were attacks from Ashwin and Passio. Vollering kind of made like a little effort. There was a selection with a lot of the pre-race favorites in it that did have a group come back on where Another impressive ride by Arlena Sierra to make it into that group in the final. So going into the, there was multiple attacks going into the base of the Mirdoui for the final time, but there was three Movistar riders in there with two riders leading out Annemiek Van Vluten. They led Van Vluten into the base of the climb and Van Vluten tried to basically do what she did in Liege Bastille Liege, but unsuccessfully she was followed by Marta Cavalli who repaid Chapman and Avita Music for their incredible uh, work early in, earlier in the day. And Cavalli took it, and it was glorious. Cavalli just looked so good on that, in that, going into that final. Like, she just looked so comfortable, which is how, on that climb, on Annemiek's wheel. But I, and I also just thought it was a really, like, mature ride from her, like she was so patient she just sat there until it was like 200 to go and then she launched um and yeah like you said she just 
finished off like some really good teamwork from FDJ, which a few months ago you wouldn't have expected us to be saying. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like the the best part for me was she just looked she looked like she was barely trying when she was sitting on Van Vluten's wheel. There was like one moment where she was slightly distanced on the mirror to we, but it didn't last very long. She was able to like get up there really quickly and get on Van Vluten's wheel and then just kind of wait. And I think for a rider who's 24 years old to have that forethought to just be patient until the road evens out a little bit, let Van Vluten kind of keep tiring herself out by going on the steep section and then waiting for it to flatten out just a tiny bit to make her move. And by the time she came around Van Vluten, I mean, it was like, there was so much space between the two of them. It wasn't even, she had time to like look over her shoulder and really kind of soak up the victory, which was just incredible because she's so young. She's, she's, it's her second world to her win. Her first was only a couple weeks ago, but she's still able to be so composed in the finale, which is just really impressive from, from such a young rider. I think it almost felt like the first one again in that I think maybe putting the distance between Amstel Gold and Flesh um, made a difference to that. But I wasn't, I, I mean, when she followed on the wheel of Van Vleuten, you think, oh, right, well, she is a really good rider. Like, she's going to challenge this. But I think there was still a part of me that thought, well, it's Van Vleuten. She's the best climber there is. Um, yeah, and I think it almost seems like the other riders around her as well sort of forgot that she'd won Amstel Gold and was clearly um, going to be a threat. And I think I think she really backed up what was, it was a strong ride at Amstel, but it was also a really quite fortunate, you know, she went at exactly the right time. And the fact that they hesitated for a couple of seconds meant that she had it. And I think, as you say, the fact that she just sat on Van Vleuten's wheel until really the last moment, because she knew she didn't have to go. Um, it was really impressive. And I think other riders... It's like you were saying, Abby, about being so composed with it. Other riders might have panicked and thought, oh, I, I'm going to have to attack early if I want to beat Van Vleuten. But she just kind of had that confidence in herself. And I think a lot of that probably comes from already having taken the win at Amstel Gold, that you now have a lot more faith in your own ride. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was very impressive. And I, I, was, I was very excited about it, despite the fact it was the second time, because it just felt so like... Oh, she's doing it again. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a very good ride from her, but also, as you say, from 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 all of FDJ in that scenario. Yeah, and Brody in the in the post race interview, Brody being like so excited that Cavalli had won, I think kind of summed up um a lot of viewers' feelings at the time because while her win at Amstel was super impressive, it was also there was this combination of lack of chasing from the group behind and 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 she won it in a completely different style and this was just like pure strength and great timing and i think going forward when it comes to one day races she's she's marked herself as being a favorite in the future as well because regardless of how well she's riding she can clearly time a race very very well and you could have said at Amstel that there were other factors at play, and I did, but she kind of 
prove that it was that it is race instinct. And that's not really something that it's something you either have or you don't. It's really hard to teach. And she's got it. I'll be called this one. Sorry, Amy. That's all right. I was just chiming in with some stupid comments. That was okay. Um, I was going to say, in some ways, I think it's interesting to compare Cavalli and Vollering in the last few races because I think you would say that these these races, you need to be a good climber, but you also have to have that little punch. And I think most people would have said that Vollering is always going to have the better punch of a rider like Cavalli. But actually, she's showing that if you're a really good climber, that is actually what matters um in races like this and she doesn't she didn't need to have as you know to be able to sprint across the line with a few riders if you can just out climb everyone on the actual climb and i think that's where volume has been let down is that she's she's not even been there to show off the sprint that she has well we'll see what happens in the in the coming races i feel like we should probably there's we're gonna rant a little bit just about the live coverage because both of these races are owned by the aso both races started the live coverage after 40 kilometers to go well into the race. And for a moment for Liege Bass on the Asia, it looked like it was going to start after La Redoute, which would have been just really upsetting. <laughs> Lauren and I have said it two years ago. We wouldn't, we would have been happy to see any of a women's race, but now with what we've been seeing so far this year and what Flanders classics has been able to give us and what we got from Perry Roubaix, which I think comes down largely to Zwift for pushing a longer bit of live coverage for that is that the ASO is simply not doing enough when it comes to live coverage. And it's, it was really disappointing for flesh Malone and for Leish Basel Cause I think Flesh Balone in particular kind of has a bad rap that race, mostly because it kind of comes down to bad rap, bad rep. You get my point. It comes down to the mirror to we. It's just like it's a very straightforward race, like very cut and dry. But it was such an exciting race this year. And it was just such a bummer that we didn't get to see more of it. And the same with Liege Bass on Liege. Like we just want to see more of the racing. And now the bar has been raised, but the UCI's minimum live coverage is still the same. So, yeah, it's frustrating. It's a frustrating spot. Wait, it just shows how much the bar's been raised, though. Like you said, like a few years ago, we would have just been happy with that. But now it's two years down the line. The expectations are higher because other races have been able to deliver it. So also, I think in addition to the live coverage, the fact the races are so early on the same day as the men's is another issue. Because oh, man, the women had to wake up at like 5 a.m. this morning. Yeah, yeah. And on Wednesday for Flesh, like Demi Volume was saying about how she like felt sick at, you know, breakfast. It, side note, this is one of the reasons I stopped racing is like having to shove food in your face at ungodly hours of the morning when you don't want to eat. Um, but that and a complete lack of talent. But um, she... All it does, like we've seen Flanders Classics mix this up a bit as well, sort of having the rate the women's races later on or like after the men or like even Paris Bay being on a separate day really made a difference to the fact that because then they've got no excuse to say, Oh, we can't broadcast it because the men's race or whatever. So I think is they're lucky that we did get to see Laredoute because that would have been all hell would have broke loose if the coverage had started after that. It's also just dumb. It's like it's the the biggest 
It's like the the point in your race. Why would you not want that to be on TV? They're kind of shooting themselves in the foot, aren't they? Like if you don't promote your own race properly, then you you can't then complain that it doesn't have, you know, the reputation you want it to have. Because if you only see the last minute, and yeah, if you'd missed Laradu, like, everyone would be like, well, that was boring. Even though actually, it probably was a good race that we didn't see. But it just seems like this is what I keep thinking. I know this is a uh, as you say, the most stupid cliche, but it's always like if they wanted to, they just would. Like, there's just no reason not to. And if races like Amstel, who aren't even Flanders Classics or ASO can do it, then like you're the biggest race organizer in the world. Why why can't you do it? Well, it's like a it's like when a girl is like, but he won't text. Why isn't he texting me back? <laughs> You're like, well, he's just not that into you. The explanation is very simple. Like exactly. ASO <laughs> is just not into women cycling. <laughs> exactly they could easily do it and like for for flesh alone i think it's a little bit different because they do do the circuits at the end like the the 31 kilometer circuit that mm. includes the mirror de so it is harder for them to time it so that the women would finish after the men for example or something like flanders does um but for for Liege Bass and Liege, they do not have the same excuse because they could easily just switch things around and the women could finish right after the men or they could move things around and have like flesh alone on Tuesday and Liege Bass and Liege on Saturday. And personally, I I know the viewer numbers are better for a race like Tour of Flanders where the women finish after the men, but I absolutely loved having Perry Roubaix the day before the men because not only did it mean that I got to solely focus on the women's race. It meant that the entirety of cycling was solely focused on the women's race, which made it just Mm. like way more fun to experience it when you're on Twitter during the race and like arguing with people on Twitter. It's just a great time and everyone is focused on it and it's better for the women. It's better for the race. It's the whole situation is just so great. And I, for races like Flanders, it's like the the men's race ends or the women's race ends and we have like at a little bit of like how the sausage is made as james would put it at cycling tips we have like two teams basically we have like the team covering the men's race and the team covering the women's race and they you know break up on the day of flanders and cover whichever one they're supposed to be doing but for perry roubaix we had like the entirety of cycling tips was focused on the women's race and then the entirety of cycling tips was focused on the men's race the next day which is it means that the women get the amount of support from the media and the amount of attention that they deserve on a separate day it works it works really well even for fans on the ground too both children and I were there I was obviously working but like you can make a weekend of it yeah and I think some people kind of bring out the argument of well it means that you don't have so many like coincidental fans there, like like people at Flanders who would have just stayed after the men's race to see the women's race. But actually, I don't think everything needs to be catered to people who are just going to be there like by accident. Like it does mean something that people go on purpose, and you can't you can't plan everything around convincing a couple of sort of people who aren't really that interested to stay there. Like it's better to, in the long run, give it its own time and build its own like actually committed um viewership yeah and give it a couple years and the women are going to have tons and tons of fans on the side of the road anyway that it's about having the proper amount of coverage so that we gain a fan following which is it's obvious with the way that things have gone in the past two years like we could easily 
point to many, many situations and be like, look, look what the live coverage does to women's cycling. So the live coverage remains the most important thing about growing women's cycling. And frankly, we just didn't have enough for these two races, which is really disappointing. No, and I think it's fair to keep calling out ASO for this sort of thing. Like we can't be blinded by the fact of Paris-Roubaix and Tour de France fam. Like we need to also say, okay, but the rest of your races are still a bit um, below the level. And I think that's kind of fair enough, really. Especially because I think the the major reason that Paris-Roubaix femme worked out the way that it did was because of Zwift. Yeah. And the major reason that the Tour de France femme is going to be successful this summer is also because of Zwift. But we, yeah, the, the fact that we're like kissing the feet of the ASO for putting on a Paris-Roubaix femme, or a, well, yeah, a Paris-Roubaix femme and a Tour de France femme um, is... Uh, it's like they think that they can get a free pass by treating the other races that they own poorly. And it is not, we we're not that easily swayed. No free passes. <laughs> Us who have been in women's cycling long enough to know, to know better. Yes. We're not cynical though. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, anyway. Two very exciting races and the spring is over. We're done with the spring and it's very sad, but it is what it is. It's sad, but also I'm very tired. But that might also be because I had a birthday party last night. That's because it was your birthday yesterday. Yeah. (laughs) But we will be back next week to talk about the next race. It's Zulia Bass Country. We've got stage races. It's stage races from here on out. We've got, there's no more, there's no more one days. It's only stage races, <laughs> but we will be back to talk about that. Burgos is coming up as well. Then we move to the UK. So the spring may be over, but the racing is definitely not. Tilda, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today. It was really great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It was very lovely to be here. <laughs>